Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we begin a new edition of a series called The Time of Your Life. Actually, the first series Dr. Newfeld ever did for Back to the Bible Canada. So turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. In his epic novel of the French Revolution, a book entitled The Tale of Two Cities, author Charles Dickens begins with the words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Most people have heard those words, but Dickens wants to point out that the age he was speaking about was an age of wisdom, light, and hope. And yet this very same age was the age of foolishness, darkness, and the winter of despair. Such indeed are the historical epochs of the different time periods in human history. And of course, it's not just the history of Paris and the history of London that interests us. I think the days of Jesus would be characterized with the same words. The light of the world had entered into the world. But the deep and entrenched hatred against God was so very profound that the children of men took the Son of God and nailed him to a cross. Each era in which human beings have lived presents itself with opportunities and times of great wickedness. And as has been often said, none of us get to choose the times in which we live. All we get to do is to choose what to do with those times. And concerning those times, let's consider some of the things the Bible says. Acts 17 verse 26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Imagine the nations that have come and gone. Some were advanced and more enlightened than others. At times, however, human beings have lived under cruel dictatorships or in times of ignorance, superstition, and the belief in unfounded conspiracies launching men and women into error. In terms of knowing the truth of God, all times are dark. But imagine living in Israel during the times of David or during the great revivals in the time of Hezekiah. Now imagine living in Israel at the time of that wicked man Manasseh. The tide of popular opinion had turned against God and the days were cruel. All Christians await the second coming of Jesus when the days of darkness are forever ended. Those days are yet ahead of us. Again, we can't choose our times. Furthermore, we can't choose the length of our lives. I know that presently we live in a day when average lifespans are trending upwards, but think of the Middle Ages. The high death toll among children meant that the average lifespan was 33, somewhere around there. That's probably not a fair figure. If you escape the ravages of disease in your earlier years, you could be expected to live a great deal longer than 33. But please remember the frequency of plague, the dangers that attended travel, the diseases that are easily cured today, famine, other factors. No one who lived then chose to live then. Oh, what's the point? It's not just that we don't choose our times. There's another point to be made. God assigns us our times. However, we can make choices as to what to do with those times. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Those are two very short verses, but it's hard to overstate the importance contained in them. The first question that obviously poses itself in the text is this. Are the days actually evil? 
Or should I think of the age and the place in the world in which I was born as perhaps less evil than other time periods? That, I think, is a wise question to ask. And of greater importance, what does Paul mean when he says the days are evil? But before I answer that, I notice words in our text, words like look carefully, be wise, use the time that you have as well as you can. Given that the days are evil, unless you use time wisely, disaster awaits. For those who like to make resolutions at the beginning of the year, that's the chief reason why those resolutions often fail. It's because people who make commitments to change or to not make the mistakes that were made in the past or to start something new, these people often don't address the wider issues of how we think about how we use time. I notice that the Apostle Paul is deeply concerned about time. His words are cautionary. They're filled with warning. He gives the impression that much is at stake here. Before we look at what he says, I thought it might be worth our while to examine the concept of time. First, understand that we should view time itself as something that is overwhelmingly precious. But why? What is it about time itself that should give us the impression that that time is the most precious commodity that we have? Let's consider four reasons why time is precious. First, time is precious because it's a scarce commodity. And when you think about it, you know that any commodity on earth that is in short supply is considered very expensive indeed. As Job in the Old Testament was speaking about his suffering and how much his suffering had robbed him of time, he said the following, and I'm quoting Job 9, 25 to 26. My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. They skim past like boats of papyrus, like eagles swooping down on their prey. What an incredible group of metaphors. Let's concentrate on one of them. Can you imagine a rabbit in an open field noticing an eagle in the sky? The rabbit thinks he must hurry, for if the eagle sees him, he's going to die. So he runs for cover to the other end of the field where he has a hole and a place of safety. He must run faster, but it's of no avail. As he runs with all his might, he finds it's too late. The eagle has seen him. Now, if only he could run faster. But the wings of the eagle are now tucked in closely to his body, and he bears down with ferocious speed. The legs of the rabbit, although they are built for tremendous thrusts forward, are no match for the majestic, terrible fury of that eagle. In an instant, the eagle is upon him, and as hard as the rabbit tried, he could not escape that which had greater power and speed than his own. We may view time in that way. When we're young, it seems we will always escape the ravages of time. We're like the rabbit who believes the eagle circling in the sky is moving slowly, and if we run fast enough, we will escape. But there comes the time when we see that was an illusion. Time has moved more quickly than we expected, and now we might feel trapped. My mother, when she was alive, sometimes complained that, that time had passed her by so quickly. She often said the time of the raising of her children had passed her by with such a speed, at times it seemed as if it had been an illusion. After all, how could it have been real? Those days, at least the way she told it, were so fast that they were over before she was prepared. Of course, she's not the only elderly person that has ever said that, but I remember one conversation that shocked me. She told me there were times when, thinking about her life, 
she would sometimes sit in her house and look at the four walls and the empty rooms and wonder whether all of that, that which now seemed like an illusion, was merely mocking her. Those walls were saying, so you thought this would last a long time. You believed a lie. Your children were merely a fleeting dream, a vapor that went away. And soon you were again left with no children, only adults that came to visit. Could all that experience of having children, that is, bearing them and changing their diapers and feeding them and toilet training them and wiping away their tears and sending them to school and worrying about them, could all of that have passed her by that quickly? How did her youth flee like Job's runner in a race? See, the odd thing about time is that it's relative. We believe that we can actually measure it according to the digital increments called seconds. We know that each second is exactly of the same duration as another second, yet our experience militates against it. My mother said that our childhood was brief, but my experience of my childhood or the memory of my childhood, that didn't seem brief at all. It seemed like a very lazy summer in which warm days stretched on into the horizon. But for her, it was so very different. Why is it that time moves more quickly as we get older? Why do so many elderly complain that their days skip by like Job's boats on papyrus driven by a ferocious storm? For a while, the boats moved slowly, and then, as if by some misunderstood phenomenon, a wind blew in, and the boats were increased in speed. Logically, we say it can't be so, yet experience is so pervasive in this matter it can't be ignored. Job went on, Job 16.22. Only a few years will pass before I go on the journey of no return. Each one of us should look into the future and see that death is rushing at us like an oncoming train. Soon it will be upon us and we will be no more. The reason why time is so precious because it really is so scarce. Each second of time is not like an endless mountain of sands of grain. It's like a boat on a swift flowing river. It quickly passes by. That's exactly how the Bible invites us to think about time. This month, don't forget to ask for the Time of Your Life five-message Bible teaching series as our free Bible resource on CD. As you listen along and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time you've been given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. When you request your copy of The Time of Your Life, would you pray for more and more people to access these life-transforming riches in the pages of the Bible? Every day this teaching, verse by verse, reaches out across Canada and around the world on radio and print and online so that all might receive and experience a life filled with purpose. Back to the Bible Canada is so grateful for your support. To order The Time of Your Life or make a gift to support this ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Here's the second reason why time is precious. Not only is it scarce, it is precious. It's so very valuable because it's uncertain how much any of us has. Listen to James in James 4, 13 to 15. Now listen you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? 
You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it is the Lord's will. I wonder how many of us are counting on living, you know, 80 to 90 years old. Some of us even think beyond that. A hundred and more is now a possibility. We must be thinking that way because of the way we plan our lives. We must be thinking that way because the majority of us are simply shocked beyond belief when we're diagnosed with an incurable disease. Our minds simply will not accept the uncertainty of life. We plan our marriages, our children, our careers, and our retirement as if we were assured that we're going to get all of those things. We tell ourselves that our medical system will surely help us if our health ever gets us into trouble. After all, we reason we're not a mist at all. We're more substantial than that. And yet consider that God has not promised us that we will escape the uncertainty of life or the shortness of time. The Bible tells us that each one of us has an appointment with death. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for a man once to die. I think that means more than the obvious truth that we will not escape death. It's that word appointment that seems like a settled and fixed phenomenon. God has a daytimer, if you will. That day of your death is written in his eternal plan for you. God knows that day, you don't. This very year in which we now live may be the year of your death or my death. And all the while, we're planning well beyond that. None of us knows whether all of our future plans are futile. Only God knows. If it is his will, you and I will certainly not live out this year. But if, on the other hand, the day God has determined to be the day of our death is still some time off, you and I will no doubt live out this year and a number of years beyond that. But the key is that God will not let you or I know what that date is. His day timer has been sealed to us. But of course, we can't live as if we will die tomorrow. Bills still need to be paid. Commitments need to be kept. Demands come upon all of us. And so, given that reality, we're right to plan the future. It would be foolish to do otherwise. But James reminds us that each of us should change the way we talk. You see, James thinks that on the end of all the statements we make about future time, we should add the words, if God wills it. None of us can escape God's will regarding the future. I know in popular language, people talk about cheating death, but no one has ever cheated death. What really happened to them is that they came close to death and found themselves spared by the hand of God. And then in a moment of bravado, they imagined themselves to have cheated death. You see, we toy with the illusion that we are more substantial than a mere mist. I remember years ago hearing a preacher give this rousing sermon that went something like this. He said, tough times never last, but tough people do. And many of his followers were inspired to believe that if they determined to be tough, they could overcome every obstacle life gave them. But in truth, if we were even slightly susceptible to truth and honesty, we all know that's a load of Huey. Tough people never last. I recently found a website of seven of the toughest people in history that were absurdly hard to kill. And then at the end of the article describing each person was a description of how they went down. I rest my case. Tough people never last. 
the toughest and the brightest and the most resourceful, the most intelligent and the bravest among us, only has an uncertain and scarce commodity called time. You see, time is precious. It's precious because it's a scarce commodity, and none of us knows how much of it we actually have. There's a third reason why time is precious. It's precious because lost time can never be recovered. Once time is spent, it's gone. You can't save time. You can only spend time. Every once in a while, one hears of people spending their money unwisely. Occasionally, I hear of a business person who's lost a lot of money, and if they're particularly gifted, they will say, well, it's okay. They think it's okay because even though what this person has lost may be a vast fortune, he or she may have the skill to make all that money back. Not so with time. We'll never make it back. Listen to the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 verses 1 to 5. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men stoop, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the streets are closed, and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. Again, the Bible gives us a number of metaphors. Did you notice that all the sounds in the street are fading because this man's hearing is not what it was? And yet, strangely enough, the sound of a bird will awaken this man and he can't get back to sleep. Sleep, which once came so easily to him, is now hard to come by. In fact, all the things that were once easy are now hard. The richness of friendship that was once enjoyed are harder to come by because so many have already passed away, leaving him one of the few remaining. Furthermore, says Solomon, with the passing of years, the things one felt so confident about, heights, life in the streets, well, those things are viewed as a threat. With ever-increasing age comes an ever-increasing loss of confidence because the strength to conquer all challenges is no longer there. The body this person had, the energy to accomplish, all these things time has robbed. When we are young, we should rejoice in our youth. Ask a young person what they want to do with their lives, and they'll give you a host of visions and a host of possibilities. The sun is just rising in the sky, and for many, a glorious day is dawning. When we're in our middle years, some of us look and see that the cup is now half full. Some are in a state of panic and deny the inevitable. Some are launched into crises, and they try to recapture their youth, making fools of themselves. And some even indulge in sexual affairs. Some buy toys, like that car they've always wanted, or some even quit their jobs and move to a place where they always wanted to live. Some wear silly clothing, as if by wearing them, they're going to appear young again. Now, if that last one is you, just hear me out. You look ridiculous, especially to those who are truly young. They see you pretending, and they know you don't belong to their group at all. Try to deny what's obvious to everyone watching, and you're making a statement a statement that's hard to miss. You're a fool, and everyone knows it. The time of youth is gone. It won't come back. 
But when we're old, time has become especially precious. The last few grains of sand are left in the hourglass, and each grain is seen finally for what it truly is, the most precious commodity that any person can have, the gift of time. Once you have spent time, it's never retrieved. That's why time is so precious. It is also precious because it's scarce. It's precious because none of us knows how much we have. And that's the fourth reason it's precious. It's precious because our use of time can introduce us to light or darkness. That's the context of Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how it is that the days are evil, but notice they are. Yes, there are days and eras that are more evil than others. But as we don't control time, we don't control the context of the days in which we live. The point Paul wants to make is that if we don't watch the use of our time carefully, the evil days will overwhelm us. I know that speaking this way is especially hard for some, and it may be so for you because you fear death. And this kind of conversation haunts you. You actually feel more comfortable making plans about the future than thinking about the preciousness of time. I hope that what I say during this one short week will not discourage you, but cause you to think that Christ alone is the sole reason for confidence. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Indeed, let's ask God for that. Thanks so much for your message, John. You know, I think when it comes to time, most of us struggle with our mortality. Why do you think that is, and, and what should be the Christian perspective? Well, we struggle with our mortality, Ben, because we don't want to die. And in truth, um, you know, we were created to live in the first place, and, and the reality of our lifespan is that, you know, as the years start to roll on, we begin to recognize that, you know, the, the years are going by, it's seemingly faster, and some of us are in a panic because of that. Now, when we get the eternal perspective, then things begin to change. And we've got to get that deeply down into our own souls so that we think about the time that God has given us here as an opportunity rather than dread the passing of it. And that's important. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Time of Your Life, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. As time speeds by, it's even more important that we consider how we live. That's why I'm so grateful for friends like you who walk with us verse by verse through the Bible. The encouragement we received recently from Ruth reminds us of how precious this is. Dr. John's teachings are fascinating and really bring the Bible to life for me. I can almost visualize the scenes in my mind like watching a movie when I listen to him. I usually listen to the radio program at work and end up going home and rereading the passage you spoke about that day, and every time I see it through different eyes. What a great way to use the time we've been given. With minds transformed by the washing of God's Word, we're given different eyes and God's own heart to see the world we live in. If you'd like to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at one 800 663 
2425.